is Vertigo Alfred Hitchcock's greatest movie of all time and thereby the greatest movie of all time? <laughs> or is it a bunch of mind-bending garbage? Oh! We've got some hot takes for you on this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. Welcome inside our crazy brains. You're well, gonna, not literally. This is going to be an hour of insane mind-bending discussion with some laughs mixed in between. Maybe less than an hour, Jake. Maybe <laughs> maybe once we can do it less than an hour. Paul's going to be like, I'm just going <laughs> to wrap it up right now. I don't want to get into this weird, trippy place with Jake today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> because Paul, but but Paul, you can't say that because you were the one that made me watch. Oh, Vertigo. I know, I know, and you are grateful. I'm that grateful I made you. for it because I've got a lot of things to say. I can't wait to hear it. Which is a sh- a shock to all of you, my <laughs> yeah. friends, that Jake has some things to say. All right, so so we should probably set up Vertigo a little bit. Well, we will. Okay. But, but what else are we talking about in this episode? See, Paul, oh, oh, this is what? a thing with you, Paul. Paul's like, let me just get in Let's here. Let's just get to let the point. Let me just get into the point here. And I love that about Paul. But he's All totally right. forgetting that All right, let's, not let's, only are we talking about okay, Vertigo. Okay, 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 okay. What else are we talking about? We're talking about top mind-bending movies That's of all correct. time. And so we're going to break down our top five lists that we've each prepared apart from one another to go head-to-head with one another. I even prepared it in an entirely different state. Paul was even in another state. Not and an altered that's how state. Mine, not an altered state, even though that would be appropriate for this list. Yes, it would be. We don't condone altered states of mind for our listeners or ourselves. <laughs> do as we say and as we do. <laughs> but before we break down our list of the top mind-bending movies of all time, we are going to talk Vertigo, which is right up there, possibly. Maybe. I don't know. Is it on my list? Is it on Paul's? You'll have to find out. But without further ado, it's time for the Backlist Hall of Shame. Welcome inside the Backlist Hall of Shame, the place where we have to bow our heads in shame over the films we've never seen and make each other watch them. (laughs) <laughs> Was that Rod Sterling? Who's Rod Sterling? <laughs> no. Rod Sterling, the guy from Twilight Zone. Oh, no. That was just no, the that thing was I did. Good. I've never seen an episode of the Twilight I've heard episodes of the Twilight Zone on the radio. but Another appropriate reference for this episode, actually. Yeah, the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. It is fantastic. Uh, but now that's – but that's we're not here to talk about the Twilight Zone. No, we're not. What, we're, on the Backlist Hall of Shame this week, the movie that I had never seen, that I had to see for the first time for the last time, Paul <laughs> made me. Yeah. Vertigo. Vertigo so, by Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock directed Vertigo, and recently it became it, – it is known now as one of the very best movies in the English language ever made. Some um, lists put it at number one. Some lists put it at number one. The very, very powerful sound and film or something like that from England, actually. It supplanted Citizen Kane as the number one movie of all time. 
and it being Hitchcock has it has some interesting twists along the way and essentially it's about correct me if I'm wrong on this Jake because you've watched it more recently than I have but it's essentially about this this detective who retired who retired because he got vertigo he had a terrible experience got vertigo things spun around his head all over the place he falls in love with this girl and his vertigo and this girl become strangely intertwined. That is a great spoiler-free version. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but for those of you <laughs> that, uh, that don't want any spoilers, we're going to get spoilery from now on. Okay. This All movie's right. from the 1950s, folks. Like, 58. Is it 58? Yeah. I believe it's 58. And so uh, we're going to get into spoilers. All right. We'll, we'll do spoilers. Yeah. Because, because you can't – I mean we've got to discuss how this movie ends. No. And, and we've got to discuss the twists years and old, turns. It's 60 years it's old. It's 60 years old. So I think that we can do If spoilers. your grandfather knows the spoilers, you should know the But spoilers. if you haven't seen spo- – if, if you, you haven't, haven't seen, seen Vertigo, it. turn off this episode. Yep. Skip ahead. Run. Skip ahead. Yeah. Run to Amazon. Buy it. Bring it home because you'll want to watch it again and again and again. Actually, yeah. I don't know if that's true. It depends on who you are. Yeah. It really does. So now that we've given that caveat, you guys have gone down, and if you've needed to skip this, you've already done it. So those of you left with me right now, let's talk Vertigo. Because, all right, he doesn't just meet a girl. He's a, he's a retired detective who got Vertigo because a cop died. Because right. he got struck by Vertigo during a rooftop chase, and he couldn't. And, and this cop tried to save him. Cop tumbles to his death and dies. And so he's like, "I got to retire the force. You know, I can't hurt anybody else. You know, I, this is too dangerous." It was very scarring for him. It was traumatic. But then an old college chum gives him a little ringle jingle. He hasn't <laughs> talked in two in years, and so he goes to meet said college chum, and said college chum starts to tell him about his strange wife who may or may not be possessed because um, she keeps doing all these weird things and zoning out. Not possessed out. By, by an evil spirit. And not possessed by an evil spirit, but perhaps by a the, dead person, the, the dead soul of a soul. dead person. Yeah. Of, of, yeah. And, and so please follow my wife and figure out what's going on because this is freaking me out. Carlotta. Well, no. So his wife's name was Madeline. Right. But the but spirit. as he follows this girl – this young girl, because what was up in the 1950s? How are these, like, 50-plus-year-old dudes marrying 25-year-old women? Okay? Can we just talk about that for a second? That happens today, too. Have you seen any Does it sitcoms? happen as much anymore? Kevin James. Yeah. Like, no. come on. Like, it, who's believing that this old 50-year-old dude? And the funny part is, he says he married into this family wealth. So I was like, it'd be one thing if it was this rich dude who finds this young girl and is like, hey, I got lots of money. But it's this young, beautiful girl, and he's like, no, I'm married into her wealth. Like, what? This young girl's like, yeah, I want a 50-year-old dude maturity, with no money. Maturity had its charms. <laughs> I think it still does, quite frankly. <laughs> a passionate defense from Paul. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you young whippersnapper. Yeah. So as James Stewart follows the young, sexy bride. James Stewart. James Stewart. That answers your question right there. It wasn't him, though. She ends up falling oh, okay, for him. Okay, but sorry. anyways. <laughs> uh, this, is, be- this is why you come here, folks, to hear us analyze the, the marriage patterns of people in the 1950s, right. as depicted by Hollywood. Um, so anyways, he discovers that she's kind of 
she's got this pattern and she's going to these places that are connected. She goes to this gravestone and there's this name, Carlotta, on it. And she goes to this paint, this art gallery and she looks at this painting and it's Carlotta. The portrait of Carlotta. And like, what the heck is going on? And he she finds keeps out. wanting to jump into the lake. He finds out that this Carlotta is her great grandmother. That's what the husband now tells him. But she doesn't know that. Supposedly, her mother never told her, Paul, because she was afraid, because Carlotta killed herself. And she didn't want her granddaughter to be possessed, but it's happening anyways. And so he's trying to dive into this mystery. Jamie Stewart is. That's what, he's that's trying what I call to dive him, into Jamie the Stewart. mystery as she dives into the San, the, Francisco, the San Bay. Francisco Bay. Yeah. And he saves her, and they, they start to fall in love as he's trying to keep her safe. And yet, it's all for naught. She plunges off the rooftop, compelled by this evil spirit. Rooftop of a church, right? The rooftop of an old mission building in a mission compound in California. And he can't figure out why. They were in love, Paul. Love. In love. And it had to be because she was possessed. And he goes crazy. Until. And we're just midway through the and movie. And we're just halfway through the movie. <laughs> And so let me just let me just bring you up to speed of where I was at mentally. We're halfway through the movie, and this just happened, and I'm like, I still have an hour left. I thought this was going to be the end of the movie. There's still an hour left to go. It moves real slow. Well, it's the 1950s. It does. It moves it really slow. It requires patience, which certain people younger than me yeah, lingering don't have. like lingering shots of a car driving down a road of. Uh, of a man sitting in a car as he stares at a woman walking into a museum. I get that you need these establishing shots, but Hitchcock lingers on them. Now. That's part of his brilliance. Is that part of his brilliance? It is was, part of his brilliance. Was he just showing the, obsess- the obsession of male with female, hmm? of the male psyche with the female form, and showing the way we take it in and we observe it and we obsess over it? That's very good. Yeah. That's actually pretty good, Jay. That might have been what he was doing. But that was not where I was at by this point in the movie. <laughs> by that you were just point, thinking, I'm like, why is this when, taking so when long? When do I get to go to bed? When do I get to go to bed? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Jamie Stewart gets out of the mental asylum. He goes crazy because he Jamie can't. Jamie Stewart. Jamie Stewart. That's what his friends call him. Okay. Yeah. And I'm one of his friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. He, he, yeah, he used to ask me to call him Uncle Jamie. Um <laughs> So, so he's a very rational guy. He doesn't believe this could be possession until he's showing her how all of these things that are supposedly this mysterious possession. No, wait, 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 wait. Okay, sorry. Where did I get where did I get sidetracked here? Well, I think that she died. She died. But he meets a woman who looks remarkably like her. Yeah, I was going back a little bit before. Oh, okay, before I went there, because I was gonna I was gonna set up why. Okay, he follows this girl for his friend. He meets her when he saves her out of the bay because she plunges into the bay. And as he gets to actually know her and not just follow her, he's intrigued. Because right. in his mind, this this can't be a possession. He's a very rational guy. Right. There's no weird stuff happening here. This is all just connected to memories and logic and there's a logical explanation. So as he gets to know her, instead of just following her, he's trying to convince her. This is all rational. There's there's a rational explanation for all of this. These things that you're seeing, because she starts to tell him, like, I see this dark space, and I see this woman, and I'm being told to go then do this and that and the other thing, or I, I don't remember doing these things. 
And so there's rational reasons for all of this until he's forced with the fact that she just jumped off of the roof of a church and killed herself because she felt like she was possessed. And that causes him to snap because he couldn't save her. Because he, tried, he has vertigo. Because he's got vertigo. He tries to pursue her up the stairs. But it he can't. freaked him out. Belt it freaked tower. him out. Yeah. She dies. And so it's this combination of I can't make sense of this and I'm, I'm crippled in my own psychosis and he just snaps. Yeah. Fast forward a year. The movie jumps. That's right. He goes crazy and then the movie's like, hey, now he's not crazy anymore a year later. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still traumatized. But he's still traumatized. He's depressed. He's, he's, he's still in love he, with the girl. He's still in love with her. He's going to all the old places where he saw her. He sees any woman who's blonde. He automatically thinks it's her. But then he sees this brunette and her face looks like her. And he's like, I got to, I got to talk to her. And I gotta, I gotta find, like, I gotta find out who this woman is that looks so much. All the other ones fade, like, they get closer to him, and he's like, I know that's not the person, but this girl looks like her. He is haunted by her. He's haunted by Madeline, and this girl looks a lot like Madeline. And so he he stalks her, and like forces his way into her apartment. It's a really disturbing movie in a lot of ways. And uh, and convinces her to have dinner with him. I mean, apparently this is how things were done in the 50s. Jimmy Stewart, or Jamie Stewart, as you Jamie say. Jamie Stewart, as I call him. He's very persuasive. He's very persuasive. And we discover that she, this woman that looks remarkably like Madeline, is in fact the woman who played the part of Madeline. You what? Totally, you totally missed the most important part, though. What most important part? I probably didn't miss it. I probably just, I'm probably just getting there. I'm being methodical like Hitchcock himself. <laughs> yeah. Well, except that so she doesn't know or he doesn't know that this is actually the person. Right. He just thinks that this girl he looks like her. He thinks she just looks like her. So as their relationship goes along. She knows it's him and she, she knows, knows who she played. Him. And she's – Really fell in love with him. Correct. But but as, he doesn't know yet. He still thinks she yeah. looks like it. As the relationship goes on. Yeah. I just hadn't gotten to that. I was still back in the room where they met. Yeah. But keep going. But no, see, you pick it up here. Yeah. No, because, because so as the relationship see, as, goes as on. The audience, the audience doesn't, isn't aware that they're the same person. We are, said. actually. Oh, are we? Yes. Because – so in that scene – where he's like, you just like, she's like, you, rem- I remind you of this girl that died and I'll agree to go to dinner with you. And he's like, okay, we don't know that. Like we, in that part right there where they're having that conversation, we don't know that yet. However, as soon as he shuts the door, the camera stays in the apartment with her and she starts to pack like she's going to run away. Right. And then she goes over to her table and she starts to write a letter to him confessing that I am this girl. I was Madeline. We tricked you. This is where we as the audience see the flashback mm. to what she and his his former college friend did. So this is the big this All this right. big spoiler it comes halfway through the movie and so as she's writing this note she says I I am Madeline. We tricked I was I was I was picked to help trick you so he could kill his wife. And so I ran up the stairs. We knew you couldn't get up there because of your vertigo. And so then he pitched his wife off the roof. Wow, I don't even remember that. At and all. so she, she gets I had like vertigo on we as the audience get all of that. Yeah, he does not. So then so, we're stuck watching. And so she's writing this letter to say she's writing him this letter. She's going to leave and just leave this letter for when he gets back, so she can confess but get away from him. Because she's like, because in the letter that she's dictating, she says, "I wish I could make you love me for me. I wish I could make you fall in love with me, like because I really fell in love with you, but you fell in love with Madeline." 
She's like, I wish that I had the courage to stay and try to make it happen. And then as she writes that line, she stands up and she tears up the letter and throws it in the trash and decides, I'm going to stay and try to make this happen. I'm not going to tell him. Make him fall in love with the person Make him fall is. in love with the person who I am, Judy. Yes, Judy. Without telling him any of this. Yeah. I will keep him in the dark. So as the movie goes on. So then she's like, I'm going to get into this relationship with him. She decides to jump in, both feet, into this relationship. But Jimmy Stewart, the Jimmy Stewart character, is still obsessed. Yeah, still haunted Madeline. by Madeline and how much Judy reminds him of Madeline. And so she sees – he Physically. sees her and he wants to make her look more and more like Madeline. She yep. a- He asks her to dye her hair. To wear different clothes. To wear different clothes, to act so in a certain way. wear her hair a certain way. Right, exactly. So eventually he turns her in – to Madeline, essentially, mm-hmm. which she already turned into Madeline once a t- upon a time. Yeah, and through that whole process, she's trying to make him fall in love with her as Judy, and she knows what he's doing. She can sense what he's doing. He's trying to turn her back into Madeline, and she's trying to convince him that he should just love her as she is. So she is quiet, is like trying to fight this without giving herself away. Right. She's terrified by the fact because she doesn't want to be Madeline. She wants she wants him to love her for her, but she can tell because he's getting kind of increasingly pushy about it that he wants to turn her into this this woman this idol of this woman that he has in his mind. All right, so so as it's going through here, one of the things that I really like about this movie, and I got to be honest with you, it's it's considered one of Hitchcock's best. It's not one of my favorite Hitchcock movies because. It feels pretty dark and pretty um, – it's a very, very um, contemporary movie in a way yeah. in that it deals with some, some very deep problems. It deals with some, some – it leaves you feeling unbalanced all the time. When, yep. you, when you watch Alfred Hitchcock, you watch a movie like Rear Window or, or North by Northwest. It's these exciting, thrilling capers. And there's these cool detective stories in the middle of them. Vertigo has a totally different feel to it. It yeah. feels very psychological. And it feels very, um, in some ways, psychotic. Mm-hmm. It, it really emphasizes it because of all the colors, the weird colors they use. And, yeah. and Jimmy Stewart, who is always likable in almost everything that you see him in, he is not very likable yeah. here at all. He's a very disturbed person who's obsessing over this woman. As you were going through sort of the second act, if you will, what were you thinking at the time? Were you feeling were you feeling worse about the movie, better about the movie? Did it grip you more? Yeah. I was more gripped. Um and also more disturbed. Because I wasn't, you know, by that point I was finally for the first hour, I was doubting Hitchcock a little bit. I was like, I might have turned off this movie if I didn't have to keep watching it. I might have been a little <laughs> bit too poor. It really doesn't draw you along very well. You're mm. kind of like, eh, I don't know. But then, What's up with the ghost lady and all this yeah, kind of stuff? Yeah, this is yeah. just kind of off it feels, and it's slow and it's plotting. and feels like a 1950s type of movie. But then when he hits you with her plunging to her death and him going crazy and him and you start to get into this stuff, then that that was the moment where I was like, "Okay, Alfred. All right, Al. I'm going to go with you here. This is interesting. 
I'm I'm in, I don't know where you're going to go with this. Where are you going to go with this? Like, are you going to reveal this, that, or the other thing? Is is he going to drive her crazy? Is he like what's is what's he going to happen? successfully? Turn is he going to successfully into? turn into her? Like turn, which would be weird. Yeah, like but for him to actually turn into her, we wouldn't want that at all. Sure. You know, is it, yeah, is it going to be kind of like a Norman? <laughs> is he Madeline all along? Yeah, you're like, what? so you're intrigued because you're like, where is he going to go with this? Like, this is a lot different than I thought this movie was going to end up. Like, you know, I thought it was going to be more about, I don't know what I thought it was going to be more about. I was really, con- I was a little bit confused as to where it started and where it had me. So by that point, I was gripped and I was feeling the disturbed nature of James Jamie coming across the screen as he was manipulating this girl. Um, and so I, it, that, that was for me what the second act and how the film ultimately concludes with his obsessive, like where he had this forced obsession at first, right? He was hired right, to right. stalk this girl, right? hired he, to observe her. Exactly, exactly. And, and so they were manipulating him into this space. Right. And then, then to see him completely broken by that and then left hungry and hurting and haunted in the same space and then now apply it obsessively himself. Manipulating, with, the, manipulating somebody else to force himself back into the situation that left him so emotionally wounded in the first place was pretty, pretty fascinating yeah. to see Hitchcock going there. And that's where I was like, all right, all right, you, you're going somewhere with this. Um, now, how many Alfred Hitchcock movies have you seen? Good question. I think before this one, I've seen three. Okay. I've seen, unless I'm forgetting, I've seen Psycho, I've seen The Birds, and I've seen North by Northwest before seeing Vertigo. All right. Um, And so, uh, and then even, and then even when there's the infamous slip, they seem to get to a point in their relationship. It's getting dark and dark and dark, and but he finally transforms judy into madeline in his eyes right and she she lights up when she comes out with her hair done the right way and the right color and the right outfit and the right makeup and his psychosis his 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 neurotic obsessive desire to turn her into madeline is is fulfilled she's the object of his dreams and he seems a little bit happier but he's not fulfilled and but but she's maybe like maybe i can live with this Maybe I can be Judy, Madeline as Judy, you know, and, and, and get kind of what I want in this weird way until she puts on a necklace. She puts on a necklace that was worn by Carlotta, that painting that she looked at of her deceased, fake, deceased great-grandmother, and it all comes together for good old Jamie. That's right, because he did not know you know that's that's the first Even, he knows yeah. that she is the same person because she had kept the necklace um it's it's interesting because you see a little bit of the 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 psychological stuff at work in Madeline Judy Carlotta as well yeah. because she could have gotten away scot free if she had just left Jimmy Stewart <laughs> Jamie Stewart yeah <laughs> And she had given up the necklace. Yep. Those were two mementos of these, this time in her life that, yep. that she did something really terrible. She kept the necklace. She couldn't let go of Jimmy Stewart. And so 
you have this coming together in this moment where Jimmy Stewart sees the necklace and all of a sudden he understands what happened. Yeah, and who she was. And then instead of going to dinner, they drive back to the mission in the dark of night. And he forces her up the tower, explaining how she's been outed by herself and explaining how now he understands the plot. And he's... Angry. It's a brutal scene. He's angry and he's grabbing her and he's yanking her and he's pulling her and he's dragging her up the stairs. And he's simultaneously furious and a little bit a little bit aroused and a little bit intrigued by the fact that they could pull this off on him. He's a little bit – there's a little bit of respect there but he's angry and he's furious and he drags her up there and she's pleading with him. She's pleading and she's admitting everything to him. She's she's telling him the answers he wants to hear when she he gets to a piece in the story and he's like – you know, and you did it this way, didn't you? And she'll affirm or deny and, and help him fill in the pieces he doesn't have quite. And they get all the way up to the tower. They get all the way up to the st- spot where he couldn't get there. And he looks down and lo and behold, his vertigo has gone. His rage has cured him. The shock of discovering that all of this was a lie has cured him. And he gets her to the top of the stairs. You know, I think that explanation took longer than the movie. <laughs> but, that, but that's the beauty of this movie. Yeah, it's true. That's the beauty of this movie is that they get to the top of the stairs and they're arguing back and forth and she's trying to plead with them. I'm sorry. I, love me. Lo, like we can get past this. She's saying all the same things to him that he said to her when he was pleading with her not to go to the top of the tower in the first place when she was Madeline. She's saying it all back to him and he's saying it all back to her. It's too late. It's too late. And she comes over. It's not too late. We can do this. Save me. Protect me. And they kiss. And then she sees a shadowy figure emerge and she pushes away. And as they look over and a nun emerges from the shadows, you hear Madeline scream as she – or Judy scream. <laughs> Judy, Madeline, Carlotta scream as she plunges to her death outside again for real this time. And the movie fades to black as he stumbles over to the ledge and in anguish looks down. But we don't see it. Is it anguish? It, is, is it, it anguish, anguish though? Is it anguish? Is it justice? I don't know. Yeah, see, that's the thing. It's, is it leaves you feeling, I think that there's so much complexity within this movie where you can, you spend so much time in the heads of these people and yet in the end, there's still a mystery as to how they're feeling. Yeah. What happened? You know, we don't necessarily know even exactly what happened. We just hear the bell ringing. We see him standing. We see her dead body. We see him down. gesture. Yeah. We don't see her dead body. We do. We don't. Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you you do earlier in the movie, like yeah. from, from the rooftop, but the movie fades out. You hear the scream and you hear the thud and you see you hear the bells and you see him walk over to the edge, but it fades out with a shot from the air just showing him on the ledge. And we rewound it a couple of times because I watched this with my wife. And so, Paul, this is the burning question. Did she fall or did she jump, in your opinion? You know, it's an interesting question. Because I think, oh, you know what? I am sure that I don't know. <laughs> Come on, give us an answer. No, I think I think it was a little bit of both. I think that I think that the shadow freaked her out. But but here's the thing: I I think in some ways to to speculate on it, to really try to answer that, it, it does the movie a disservice. 
I like the Does ambiguity. Does it though? Does it? I think. I, I mean, think the we, whole, I like the, the whole ambiguity. Thing. Yeah, the whole thing about this movie is that you want to preserve that ambiguity. Sure. You want to. You want to sort of understand what a weird and tragic situation. I mean, we understand yeah. that that at the end, it's it's a tragedy. What happens? Whatever happens was a tragedy. But I think that we're sort of left to to sort of wonder. We are, but I, at the same time, I think he did that so that we would form opinions and we would talk about it. Like, so I think it remains for the movie itself to wonder. Mm-hmm. But I think Hitchcock. One, I think Hitchcock almost. I, I'm, and this is my point with this. Is I think Hitchcock wants you to have an opinion about well, whether she fell or jumped. Oh, because I think, I think so. that reveals something about you as the viewer. I think it's a because little like if inception. she if she fell, then maybe that's a form of justice. You know, the wages of her sin coming back to get her. If she jumped, maybe that's some old, good old fashioned guilt in her feeling the weight. Uh, you know, was it fate that doled out her justice or was it her herself yeah. condoling out some self-justice? And I kind of wonder if Hitchcock wanted us to have our own opinions about that to reveal something. If he if he left the ending ambiguous so that he could cause us to have things revealed in ourselves that we didn't realize. I think it's a little like Inception where I think that you watch the spinning top mm-hmm. and we watch it spin. Does it keep spinning? Does it fall over? The movie leaves it completely open-ended. And so it does tell you something about whether whether you think that it fell or whether you think that it kept spinning, whether you think it's a it's a it's an imaginary world. Um and so because of that, I think that, that that's sort of where I leave it, is that I think that that Hitchcock wanted to twist your brain a little bit. And he wanted to just sort of he just sort of wanted to poke around in your gray matter. And I, I think that I just I leave it with an appreciation for that. Okay. But what was your gut reaction when you saw it? Your brain had to okay. have, so your my, brain had to have had a reaction when it first happened. You know, when, when like I, our brains process information, she had to exit the rooftop somehow. Did your brain was your brain's snap judgment falling or jumping? I think my brain's snap judgment when I was 11 years old when I saw this movie. <laughs> That's I way can, too young to see this movie, by the way. It is. Yeah, it is. Um <laughs> When I, I was 11, 11. 11 years – well, yeah, let me tell you what my first reaction to this movie was. Um, I think my first reaction was that she stumbled. Okay. So essentially it's sort of like she was startled yeah. and she fell. And she fell. Um, yeah. Okay. But yeah, when I was 11. So I've yeah. seen this movie. I'll, I'll tell you, obviously I haven't seen this movie <laughs> as soon as, as Jake has. I saw it when I was 11. That's crazy. And at the time I thought – Wow, what is up with this Hitchcock guy? And then I saw it again when I was about I was about your age, okay, probably twenty six, twenty seven, um, watching it, uh, watching it with my wife, and I thought to myself, "Wow, that is that is really dark from what, yeah. <laughs> from what I recall." I mean, Alfred Hitchcock had, does some dark stuff, but I find it I found it more disturbing than. The Birds or Psycho. Yep. It was just because of that that psychological component. I found it really just freaky. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's not a movie that I, I 
I love to watch. No. I'll watch a lot of Alex Van Hitchcock over and over again. Yeah. Vertigo is not one of those. No, I, I completely agree with that. Where the birds was was Im, Im, foreboding. Yeah. You know, and there was also this impending sense of of terror kind of lurking with it and where Psycho was creepy and and kind of made your spine tingle and weirded you out. Vertigo is d- truly disturbing. Yeah. Because of, I think, because of what we're left with from the human condition and this obsessiveness and this control that, that James Stewart brings to his character in this film. Like, you're true. It, it, and, and that scream. And that's another thing that I think actually, yeah, the scream. The scream. I, I totally agree. But that's another thing that I think that Alfred Hitchcock did in this because I think when you have Jimmy Stewart, he is, he was definitely at the time, you know, he is. Um, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. He's the guy from It's a Wonderful yeah. Life. He's all these wonderful exactly. Mary. He is the yeah. most all-American guy you can imagine. And 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 then in this movie it completely twists his character upside down yeah. and subverts what Jimmy Stewart stands for. I mean, it's essentially like like turning um Tom Cruise into a serial killer. Now that I believe. Did you mean Tom Hanks? <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise is a serial killer. Like that is not be. a problem. No, for no. Me. Actually, it would be Tom Hanks. I yeah. think that's a better comparison because yeah, if we because turn Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks is sort of killer. he is sort of like the Jimmy Stewart of our yeah, age. He's genial. Everybody loves Tom Hanks. He's a good actor. He just is. Like, what's the scariest nice. character he's ever played? Mm. Like seriously, nothing no. that I can think of. I mean, he played a ship captain. Maybe that the was kind of stern. Buddies, maybe I, I don't, don't know. know. Yeah, but he's just a friendly guy. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so, so I think that that was another thing that that um, Hitchcock did really effectively was was he took this every man this character that everybody loved and turned him into in some ways a tortured monster. Yeah. And it was almost sort of his Frankenstein story. Yep. Is what I think it was. There you go. Um, yeah. It's a it's a great movie. But not one of my favorites. No, it so is, it's now, hard to watch. Now, Jake, is it one of your favorites? It's not one of my favorites. No, um, you know, from a from a craft perspective, this is one where you know there's a lot of conversation about how to be subjective and objective when it comes to rating movies. Objectively, I have a very different rating of this movie than I do subjectively. Subjectively, the the beginning part of it was too long for my taste. Like they, he could have moved some of that stuff faster and um and so but then the second half the second half makes it make sense and brings it all together as a whole package it kind of does the opposite of what lost did where it was like really good and then terrible at the end it was like it was really not great but then it was really great at lost the end. was great all the way through for, for, <laughs> all for the way through. that's that's my lost dig of the episode um so Subjectively, I think I'd probably only give Vertigo a six. Like, I wouldn't go back to it for entertainment or interest. Like, I like the ending. I really like the ambiguous ending. Like, that's something that really speaks to me as, like, what I like in stories because I always feel ambiguous about myself. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, objectively, like, when I look at the craft and how Hitchcock put the whole thing together and the way – I mean, he pioneered that Vertigo shot. That effect of keeping – of pulling back the dolly as you zoom in or vice versa to give you that mind-bending illusion of like, whoa, what's happening? It's something static but moving at the same time. Um, I would I would definitely give it a solid 9 out of 10 
as far as like the art of movie making and storytelling goes. I think he did a really good job with it. So that's that's what I would say. I would six for me personally, nine for the art of movies as story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I I think that that's that would be fair. I think that when you're talking about, I think you totally lowballed Singing in the Rain, but I think Vertigo, um, it's it's a hard. It's a it's an easy movie to appreciate. It's a hard movie to love. Yeah. There you, you have know? it. All right. Well, now at the end of our Backlist Hall of Shame segment, it's time for me to pick off of Paul's list. For those of you that uh, are new to our little sh- shindig here, we're just looking at all the movies that each other have not watched. We pick some for each other. All of them. We picked like the top five ones that we needed to get off of our backlist, and now we're picking for each other of which ones we have to watch to get off our backlist. <sighs> so, Paul, pick Vertigo for me. And for the next episode, Paul, you must watch. We're going to stay a little old here, but we're going to fast forward a decade and get to another classic, and that is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, starring none other than Clint Eastwood himself. <laughs> That was close. That I mean, was pretty that was close. close. Yeah. That was not bad. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> the spaghetti western of all spaghetti westerns. The spaghettiest of the, the spaghettiest. <laughs> so be sure to pick it up a copy at your local library. Or I'm excited on for this. Amazon. This is going to be a good one. No, Paul. this is going to be There's good. There's some history mixed in on this bad boy. Some some classic cinematography. I can't believe I've never seen it. You know, this is, feels like a movie that I really should have seen. Yeah. So the fact that I get a chance to do it now. I'm happy about that. That's I'm, what I like to hear. So, All right. And uh, lest we beat a dead horse and talk too much about mind-bending movies, it's time to talk about more mind-bending movies <laughs> on Rank Geeks. Welcome inside, Rank Geeks. A bunch of smelly nerds geek out about our favorite stuff or things that freak us out. Yeah, that was not Rod Sterling. That was not Rod Sterling that time. I don't even know who that was. (laughs) I don't know. It wasn't Rod Sterling the first time either, even if it sounded like it. It was just me. Just Jake. Just me. Just Jake. But uh, inspired by Vertigo, which as I hope we've convinced you or you've seen yourself, is a very mind-bending movie. From its cinematography to the twists and turns that Hitchcock builds into the story to the very ambiguous ending that you could trip over for eternity and never know because Hitchcock's that good. We're like, all right, it's time to talk about the top mind-bending movies of all time. Our favorites as defined by us. Paul, (laughs) why don't you kick us off and explain to us how you picked your top five and then start us out with your number five. Yeah, okay, so mind-bending movies. This was a tricky one for me. And I was kind of like all over the board, yeah. quite honestly, with this, which my mind was bending actually yeah. as I was sort of picking them. Yeah, because so. there there are a lot of weird movies out there, and I know there's a lot of weird movies that I have not even seen, but the ones that I picked were ones that sort of I sort of stewed with. I sort of wondered what was going on at the end, sort of like you know, sort of the Vertigo thing. But they were also just really weird movies. I mean, just really weird movies so it was a little bit of both and the first one that i chose number five number five and this actually sort of goes right alongside vertigo and its ambiguous ending ending was birdman 
Birdman. I never saw Birdman. Oh, I did see Birdman. I saw Birdman. Yep. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton yeah. won an Academy Award for Best Picture, right. I believe, a couple of years ago, three years ago. Um, it is the story of this guy who used to play this superhero called Birdman. Yep. Trying to get into serious acting. Um, was Reclaim his a, career. Exactly. His legacy. Trying to restart it on Broadway and has this really weird production where nothing is going right. It's a very, very dark comedy. But yeah. the reason why I made this list is at the very end, we have this scene where Birdman has essentially tried to kill himself. Right. On stage. On stage. On stage, he is he has actually shot himself in the face. He survives. He's in a ho- he's in a hospital room. And then he goes to a window and he jumps out. His daughter comes back into the hospital room. They've just sort of uh, reunited after being estranged a little bit for most of the movie. They've not yeah. been getting along very well, but she understands him better. They've they've gotten you know closer as time has gone on. She sees that she's gone. She looks down, and then she looks up, and she has this face of hope on her, which is a really strange ending. Yeah. So... Did he fall like we would think he would? Did he fly? Is this all part of his imagination? Is right. this all? It's a very, very interesting movie. Yeah, because he's dealing with, you know, like he speaks with his ego as Birdman throughout the film. And so it's always kind of playing with you throughout the film as far as, you know, how sane is he really? How much of this is psychosis? How much of this is just ego personified you know talking voices inside your head like how crazy is he and then where does that leave us at the end was this real or was this part of his imagination right right because there's a lot of there's a lot of talk as you go through this you hear these people talking about um even various characters that he's talking with they don't know he talks with his his ex-wife quite a bit is his ex-wife really there or is she not there at all? Is yeah. she dead? You know, there's there's all these interesting questions that happen during the course of the movie. And so um, it's a very mind-bending movie, I would say. Yeah, and it's another one similar to Vertigo where they did a lot of interesting things with the way they shot. You know, where every scene was a long one take. Like the whole movie is basically like eight one-shot scenes. Yep. That – you know, normally you're used to being 26 different scenes or 24 different scenes. They would just do these long takes winding through this little theater. And the whole soundtrack, one drummer. One drummer, and he's a great and he's drummer. he's a great drummer. And so it's really throwing you off kilter the whole time as well. As you're following the continuity of these one shots, but yet the drum is so scattered and frenetic and yet strangely inbeat as it's not syncopated as it is syncopated and what's going on here and it really it, it lends itself to quite the trippy experience it does indeed so uh that's that's a solid pick that's a solid pick at number five paul why for me, thank you for me when i looked at mind-bending movies uh yeah I, I did interpret it slightly broadly you know those types of movies that maybe in maybe they were playing with your mind as the audience maybe they were playing with the mind of the character within the movie and maybe they were doing both. So those were kind of – that's kind of the three places. Like either they're messing with our mind as the audience 
and how they shot it and told the story or they were messing with a character's mind within the story or they were using how they were messing with a character's mind within the story to mess with our minds. <laughs> so that's that's how I went, right? Right. So number one for me is – or not number one. Number five for me is source code. Did you see source code? Jake Gyllenhaal? Source code. No, I don't think I did. All right. So source code is the story of this guy who uh, keeps waking up in on a train, sort of like Groundhog's Day. He keeps waking up on this train, and there's people around him, and he's talking to people, and it's kind of mundane. But then after eight minutes, the train crashes and explodes into a fiery ball, and he wakes up. And he's talking to people. He's in a dark room and he's, and he's kind of tra- – like he's in this dark place. He doesn't know where he's at but people are talking to him. And they said, what did you see? Who did you see? What happened? And he's like, what is going on? I don't understand. And, and, and then all of a sudden he's zipped back and he's right back in the train again. And he's in that same spot again. The same people are around him, Groundhog's Day style. And he's having different conversations but it's the same people and he's interacting differently. And then eight minutes later, boom, train explodes. Everybody dies and he's back in this dark space talking to people over a headset again. What's going – like people are talking to him. What's going on? What's happening? And and what we eventually start to discover – and this isn't a spoiler. What we eventually discover you know, a couple times in is that – this is near future world and we uh, like police like the law enforcement has figured out that they have this way to get into the last eight minutes of people's memories after they die and they're able to replay events and see what happens and try to figure out like what maybe caused something so it's they're investigating they're trying to figure out who blew this train up and they're using this guy they're able to get into his memory and and they're trying to figure out who blew up this train and then it starts to get it and then as he starts to figure as they tell him this and he's figuring it out and so he's trying to help them figure out who blew this train up uh then you start to see more of the people that are telling him what to do the law enforcement and you're starting to learn more about this system and wait is this a memory or is this real like is this time travel are they able to actually amend events or are they just reliving events in memory and so now and you're and so it's they're just giving you enough a bit at a time to keep you going and feeling discombobulated like this guy and ask you these moral and ethical questions about playing with memory and time travel or wait is this just like and so are these people's lives at stake what are my decisions doing to people things like that and it's a very interesting and well-told movie and it really surprised me kind of came out of nowhere i watched it just kind of sporadically and was really impressed with it Hmm. so there you go source code jake gyllenhaal all righty solid film yeah might have to see it so there you go paul number four number four for me 2001 a space odyssey this one is coming up for us soon on my backlist right it is coming up for you yes um yeah 2001 a space odyssey i'm not going to say very much about it don't want to spoil it other than uh and this actually sort of gets back a little bit to um some of our our thoughts about ambiguity and ambiguity endings yeah it it was um it's a very odd movie definitely at the beginning definitely at the end in the middle there's sort of a coherent story um but the ending is has been the the subject of a lot of talk over time and supposedly it's it's answered actually in 2010 a sequel to the movie 
which I have purposely not seen because I don't want don't the want ambiguity the spoiled. Yeah. I like it. So it's a very it's a very twisty, turny, psychedelic movie. Yeah. So so on that note, I forgot to ask you this when we were talking Vertigo. Did you watch the? Have you ever seen the ending that Hitchcock was forced to film for foreign audiences for Vertigo? No, I haven't. Vertigo is – did you know about it? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, I mean I won't tell you because I know you don't like that. All right, all right. And it's actually not that good. Like not only is it not good for the movie, it actually doesn't answer anything for you. So I was really annoyed that I did watch it because <laughs> I was like I just wanted to know what Hitchcock wanted to tell European audiences because he was basically forced like by the studio. Like we like your, the European audience are like we're not going to air it with this ending. You have to have another ending or we won't show it. So he had to shoot it. And it made it acceptable in their eyes for some reason, and it doesn't add anything to it. So anyways, you haven't seen it. That's fine. All right. All right. Number four for you. Number four for me is The Good Old Matrix. The Matrix. Keanu Reeves, Lawrence <laughs> Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss. But trippy because it all takes place in – it's mind-bending because it all takes place Got in it. our minds. We're plugging Got it. people. The movie the, isn't necessarily The movie a itself – it gets more mind bending in the trilogy as you get into the second, you know, the reloaded right. and and whatever the third one was, which I never saw. <laughs> but it starts to get more trippy as far as like how things, you know, physics are messed with. But we get a little bit of that in the Matrix once you understand that hey, we're all plugged into this big computer and we're literally living in our minds and we can bend things like spoons or bullets or space you know and so some of you know of course it feels starts to feel dated now 20 years later but at the time what they did with bullet time and the special effects for the matrix was pretty impressive it is it's really it's really quite the movie it really is. It's and there's a, a lot of religious themes. A lot of religious laced themes. throughout it. The Gnosticism. Yeah. And Again, I have not watched the second or third episodes, but the first was a, was a very, very intriguing movie. Um, yeah. yeah. I think and that's are a fine we, choice. Are we truly living if we're just living in our minds? You yeah. know? Even if, even if that's a better reality than we might have outside of our minds, is that truly living? You know, Jake, you'd have to answer that. Because mm, I think you know all Interesting, about guys. That. All right. Number three for you, Paul. Number three, a movie you may not have seen. All right. Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder. So this was a movie starring Tim Robbins that was out probably in the early 1990s. And essentially it talks about this uh, this guy who lives. It's actually very Matrix-like in, okay. a, in a way. He um, He works as a postman. He's a Vietnam War vet, so he has some some issues from his time as a Vietnam War vet. Um, he has a son who apparently died. And as we go through his life in Jacob's Ladder, his life gets more and more surreal, and it becomes more and more hellish, hmm. literally hellish, where he starts seeing demons everywhere. He starts seeing these weird forces um, at play. And so we're being forced to ask ourselves, is this guy going crazy? Is this really happening to him? What is going on is with this? Is this just a metaphor? Yeah, exactly. And, and so... 
Um, it goes through this whole process. We see some horrible images. This is a very difficult movie in some ways to watch because you do see some really terrible images. It's, but it lingers with you. The first time I watched it, again, I was probably much too young to see it. It was probably for a movie like this. This was wait, like, didn't you say it came out in the nineties? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> weren't you in your twenties in the nineties? Well, but <laughs> seriously, it was one of those movies where I thought, "What I'm is too young? It, what is this movie that I am watching?" Yeah. I was like twenty two or something when I saw it. Um, and it was it was just a very strange flick. If anybody's seen it, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. If not, then go see it. But warning. I'm not going to watch it. It yeah. sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. Yeah, no, it's it's creepy. All right, number three for me. This is a, another movie. We talked about how disturbed I felt after watching Vertigo. This is another film that left me with a very similar feeling. And yet the, the, the storytelling and the way the movie was crafted is very – very, very good. Top notch. And that is Fight Club. Fight Club. I Fight knew Club. that was going to yep. make somebody's list. It had, yeah. You know, because, of course, the whole thing is a big old mind blank, as people would say. Um, a mind Jake, if you will, uh, because I'm just so trippy. But, uh, you know, Fight Club is the exploration of this man who is wrestling with the mundanity of life. Is that a word? Mundanity? Sounds It good. is right now. Um, and and the, the pull of corporate culture and the drudgery and is looking to find and salvage some semblance of real human emotion and life in this world. And he finds it through Brad Pitt. violence as he's drawn into a fight club through Brad Pitt. And yet then it becomes an exploration of mental illness in a way, of psychosis and the places, the things we store and the ways we drive ourselves in in ways and our hidden desires and things like that in a very fascinating way. So yeah, and Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt. We knew that there there's to always be, he, going he to be a to Brad Pitt movie somewhere on your list because this, this is what we know. It because Paul, this is part of my long game in proving to you he's the greatest actor of all time because he's in all these lists. <laughs> all right, number two for you, Paul. Number two for me, not starring Brad Pitt. Not starring Daniel Day-Lewis even. <laughs> it's because Daniel Day-Lewis wasn't in anything other than this, like, dramas. This doesn't star anybody who you've ever heard of. Okay. Nobody who I've ever heard right. of. Certainly no one who I can remember. <laughs> Big Man Japan. Big what? <laughs> Big Man Japan. The title's mind-bending. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. So this was... <laughs> a movie that I saw not not so ever long ago. It was probably about three years ago. But essentially it's about this guy who lives just sort of a regular life in Japan. Doing his regular deal. He does his thing. He works. It's a lot like Jacob's Ladder. It's a lot like the beginning of The Matrix. Okay. But he also somehow turns into this humongous man if he's shocked with a lot of electricity. So every oh. once in a while when Japan is attacked by a monster, <laughs> like a strangling monster or okay. a baby monster, then they electrify this guy and he turns <laughs> huge and then he attacks these monsters and saves Japan. Wow. But then everybody makes fun of him. Because he's is he fat when he's big? Or? He is kind of fat when he's big. Yeah. Oh, is it because he's naked? When he's no, doing he's it? he's not naked like, when he does it. They make clothes for him that are that big, or <laughs> the clothes because they're touching his skin are magically yeah. transformed no, big. You, they don't. They got to answer these you're questions. You're getting off track. Yeah. You're getting off track. Am I getting too? <laughs> yeah. Am I asking for too much? No. 
yeah, from a no, movie he about has, a, he shocking has, the man into gig, gigantism. I think you really are asking too many questions of a movie like this. Mm. So this is not necessarily – this did not really bend this person's mind. That's all it right. It sort of bent mine. It bends your mind. That's fine. Because it was – it's just a little odd movie. Yeah. All right. All right. So number two That's for you. That's weird. That one sounds like one I might watch. <laughs> no, number two for me is my boy Christopher Nolan's Inception. Ah, no. no, Inception Memento. ain't got no place. Memento, Memento, Memento wow. is the best mind-bending Christopher Nolan movie of all time. That's a great movie. Memento is a fantastic movie. The way Nolan tells the story and the way it's playing with the mind of the character, Guy Pierce, who is trying to figure out who murdered his wife. But the problem was he was attacked at the same time, hit on the head. He has memory lo- – like he cannot remember – all of his memories, his long-term memories stop that day, that day of the attack. And ever since then, every morning he wakes up, he, he can't remember what happened the day before? He has no long-term memory, but yet he's got to track down who killed his wife, and so he he tattoos things on himself as he goes, as he seeks out who attacked him and his wife and killed them, his wife. He's tattooing himself so he can remember things that he finds out. And so every morning he wakes up and he has to look, he has to read these notes he's left for himself and these tattoos he's put on his body and try to piece together this whole thing. And so while he's his mind is literally broken. Not even bent. It's just broken. Christopher Nolan does a brilliant thing and tells the movie forward and reverse all at the same time. He starts with the last scene of the movie and then cuts to the first scene of the movie and then goes to the second to last scene of the movie and then the second scene of the movie and then the third to last scene of the movie. And, then, and it all meets the middle in the middle at the end. And so you this whole time are set off balance by the way Christopher Nolan is telling this story. And somehow – it's all coherent enough that you fit you that you're going along with it, and you're like, "This is brilliant." No, it's it a, should have been a total mess. It's it, it should have been a total mess, and this was where I think Christopher Nolan made his name because yeah. it was just a freaky, twisty directorial tour de force. Yeah, it it really was. It was that's an outstanding pick, Jake. I got to say, it was pretty great. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think that it's really interesting to me that, that Christopher Nolan actually says that Dunkirk is his most experimental movie ever. Ooh, I'm going to have to watch Dunkirk. I mean, I already wanted to, but I'm definitely going to have to Good movie. Now. All right, Paul, number one on your list of top mind many movies. All right, number one. This is a movie I know you have seen. <laughs> Everyone in our audience has seen. Oh, yeah? That big, huh? It's that big. Which one? Save the Green Planet. What? I don't even think I've heard of it. Yeah. Well, it's it's a South Korean movie. Oh, good. I actually. love South Korean films. This is a movie. All zero of them I've watched. <laughs> this is a movie uh, you might want to stay away from. It's okay. a very strange. Okay. So, of course, it's a strange movie because it's number one on my list. Yeah. I guess that can go without saying. But it's, <laughs> sense, it's essentially we'll about this strange. guy who believes that he has been tasked to save the world okay. save the green planet sure. yeah al and gore believes, i'm tracking with you uh, exactly and he he actually is sort of like he is feeling like he needs to kidnap this particular pharmaceutical head mm. and getting biblical yeah exactly well 
really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Isn't that in, in no, the Bible somewhere? I don't think there's any Kidnapping pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical CEOs. Yeah. So he, he captures him, and he needs to essentially make him swear that he's an alien and then swear that he won't attack the Earth. Interesting. Essentially is what I He's get. making the... He's trying to make the pharmaceutical rep swear these things. Exactly. Okay. Because he believes that this pharmaceutical head, is the an CEO, is an alien. Martin Shkreli. Got it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. This is all based on a true story. It is not based on a true story. At least we hope not. <laughs> so as the story goes on, we learn much more disturbing things about the guy who's doing the kidnapping. Mm. When we first meet him, we think he's just a little crazy, a little bit nuts. But a nice guy. No. Not harmless. Mm. He has done terrible things. Mm-hmm. He has experienced a lot of pain in his past. And he's an alien. And he is not an alien. Dang it. But he is psychotic. Okay. And he is um, potentially a serial killer. Oh, good. And Perfect. he starts torturing the CEO Ooh. to death. Um, add to my Netflix queue right now. Then. Oh, my goodness. The CEO he actually he nearly tortures him to death. Nearly. But the CEO really then, is an alien. Then says, well, he tells the guy, okay, I'm an alien. I admit it all. Just tells him this, this yeah. string of lies, right? Oh, so that it. he'll let him go. True. And so it develops. And then the him. guy is caught. The evil, psychotic guy is caught. And then the CEO beams up. Into his spaceship and starts talking with his, you know, he is actually the main I leader. Yeah. I knew it. So. I knew it from the beginning. He was an alien the whole so time. So spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Save the green planet. So, but it's it really, it's it's one of the, it is by far the strangest movie I have ever seen because it's sort of comedy. You're sort of laughing for a while until he starts pounding oh. nails into other people oh, and then, then that gets really serious and dark and then you have the alien twist at the end. It is Dude, South really Koreans, strange. they don't joke around. No. They ain't messing around over there. No. Way to go, South Korea. Save the green planet. Save the green planet. All right. Yeah, well, you might want to save one, yourself from this movie, actually. My number one's going to pale in comparison to that, guys. I mean, I don't even know if I should say it at this point. It's embarrassing. But uh, but I have to say it because, guys, Christopher Nolan is the greatest director of all time when it comes to mind-bending movies. So, Paul, can I – my number one, do you know what I'm going – you know where I'm going with this one? Huh? 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 All right. Say so it. Inception isn't on your list. Oh, that's right. I gave it away. I was hoping that I hadn't said that, but I guess I did. <laughs> yeah, it's not Inception, guys. Back off. Inception's overrated. It's The Prestige, people. What the else prestige. could it be? The Prestige. Wow. Another tour de force by our favorite Christopher Nolan. Never seen The Prestige. Wait, what? Never seen it. Oh my goodness! Was this not on your backlist that I could I should have added this to your backlist? I'm adding it to your backlist as we speak. Yeah, clickety clack on the keyboard. The prestige <laughs> is going to be added to your backlist eventually because give me a break. Hugh Jackman, Scarlett Johansson, Christian Bale. It is. They are all great. Batman and Wolverine. Batman and, and Wolverine is magicians. And the Black Widow. And the Black Widow and Nikola Tesla. You got magic and you got science and you got David art. Bowie, right? David Bowie. David Bowie, come on. Like this is this is a yeah. movie that I mean magic is meant to 
to bend your mind anyways, bend the way your your mind perceives reality. You know, the way it sleight of hand tricks the eye to look here, there, and elsewhere. And in the midst of these two dueling magicians, there's more magic and sleight of hand. The real magician here is Christopher Nolan, who's 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 just stringing you along you the whole line? time. What's that? Did you plan that line? Yes, I did not. Very good. I did not. Just like that last sentence where I said, yes, I did not. <laughs> didn't plan that either. <laughs> the Prestige is number one on my list. Oh, my gosh. I wish we could get into the spoilers, but that's okay. That's all right for another time, Paul. All righty. All right, guys. What do you think is the best mind-bending movie of all time or just like the freakiest one of all time? It could be best or freakiest because Paul's is freakiest. Mine's best. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. think Paul would argue with that. No, I, I a lot of these movies on my list, like I didn't even really like Save the Clean <laughs> Planet. It's just the weirdest movie I've seen. It's the most mind bending, that's for sure. And uh, without further ado, because I, my mind is just totally broken, <laughs> it's time to go on to the most least important thing. Welcome to the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every show. I love to, at least. Paul is just happy the show's ending. <laughs> <laughs> They're so long. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to kick us off. This is where we take things in pop culture that no one's talk about, talking about, and we make a big deal out of it. Or we take the things that people are making a big deal out of it, and we say, should it eh. really be a big deal? Eh. 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 And that's where I'm going this time. Guys, Chip and Joanna Gaines, season five's Fixer Upper is going to be the last one ever. What? Yeah, they've announced it on the Magnolia blog. Oh, Chip my and Joanna goodness. Gaines, season five is it for my, Fixer Upper. My wife is going to be so sad. Well, Paul's wife is going to be depressed, and I'm, so will so many others. Yeah, no, it, that, for me, that's the most, most important thing. I yeah. got to tell that to my wife because I've been. Oh, I've she been, hasn't heard yet. No, she hasn't heard. Oh my we've goodness. been, we've been gone You've been on, on vacation. vacation. You've been burrowing your heads. Exactly. So Chip we and Joanna, we didn't know this huge news. Have, have made it official. It's not because their marriage is on the rocks. It's not because anything. And there's a lawsuit against them. They just want to take a breath. And they want to spend some time with family. Well, and they want to look ahead to what's next and take care of their community. See, folks. Yeah. See, isn't that cool? Isn't I think that, that just the Chip and Joannaist thing? It, it really is the most <laughs> Chip and Joannaist thing I have heard. And and you know, I was kind of thinking about that as as we watched the show. Yeah. Um, you know, you see all their little kids, their cute little kids. It's it's got to be really draining. It's hard to do. It's hard to do parenting. With on, a full-time job. Exactly. But when you're parenting on camera, yeah. that's a huge deal. And, and doing kids. a full-time job. Yeah. And having a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just really hard. I And I, to, to be honest with you, a lot of a lot of my favorite, well, a few of my favorite entertainers have actually backed away in some of the, in the same sort of way. Yeah. Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan, man. Two seasons, brilliant show. Um, the Jim Gaffigan show, oddly enough. The Jim enough. Gaffigan show. Yeah, and he walked away because he wanted to spend more time with his uh, his children. He said that actually filming a life about his life was taking away too much time from his real life. And I really appreciate that. That's I, mind-bending. That really is. I, I really appreciate that sort of attitude. Yeah. And so people are making a big deal out of it because 
who does this in this modern day and age, right? Besides, like, think about why it makes news when Jim Gaffigan does it or when Chip and Joanna do it because that's not the culturally – like that's not the cultural narrative. The cultural narrative is kind of the Silicon Valley, America, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, good build old hard work, build your brand, hustle like there's no tomorrow, stay up till 2 a.m., wake up at 4 and do it again and everything else be darned. It's all about what you can achieve and what you can build and what you can accomplish. And so it really is shocking to us yeah. when people like Jim and Jeannie Gaffigan or Chip and Joanna Gaines say, you know what? Yeah. We're going to take a break. You know, one of these days. And of course they're going to be okay. And so, of course, people are going to say, oh, they can do that because they're rich and famous. But you know what? How many of us would make that same decision? Well, I know that one day we're going to come in and you're going to say live on the air, you're going to say, you know what? I've been taking away too much of my time from my family. This is it. This is the last podcast. Yeah, Paul, the two hours a week, two hours every two weeks that we used to do this podcast, way too much time. Too much time. I mean, I, I mean, I honestly anticipate Paul saying that before me because <laughs> so. he's like, Jake, you know what? Thirty minutes? No. Five minutes? No. Look, can I get out of here? I'm done. No. <laughs> The time is the ticking. time is ticking. The my wife needs ticking. to. I need to go home and tell my wife yeah. that Chip and Joanna Gaines are not doing their TV show. I anymore. do need to like, do that. I need actually, to be out we of need here right now. we need to wrap this like immediately. Exactly. So good thing that it's your turn to it's be very turn. succinct. Yes. So you can go tell your my wife least, the bad news. Most important thing, Paul's, or my most least, least important, important thing? thing. I. You know what I think? I think that if people read their Bibles a little bit more. They would have their priorities mm. in better shape. Preach. But who has time to read the Bible anymore? Well, Chip and Joanna Gaines do now. <laughs> they do, but the rest of us, we're here in a podcast. We don't <laughs> have time to read it. So you know what? Some folks have decided to do the next best thing. Some folks from Lionsgate, they, are, they have created the Gospel of Luke on DVD. It is part of their series of uh-huh. gospel movies. Mm-hmm. They've done... The Gospel of Mark. Mark. They've done the Gospel of John. John. Now, the Gospel of Luke. Luke. All starring the very same people. What? That's great continuity. It really is. It's kind of cool, actually. And Luke is actually my very favorite gospel. I do like Luke. You like yourself some Luke? I like myself some Luke. Have you seen this movie yet? No. Is it a word-for-word remake of the gospel? Yes, it is, All right. That's faithful. I like that. And here's the thing. The kicker. Here is the thing, people. It is not going to be out for another three weeks, two weeks by the time you listen to this. Yeah? Like mid-late October? Yeah. Yeah. October 17th. Is the first time people could purchase this thing? Unless, unless you tell us what the freakiest movie you've ever seen is. (laughs) Because. Okay. Well, because when you think about it, the gospel story is kind of freaky. They're freaky. They upend all sorts of things. They upend all sorts of things. All sorts the of political last structures. Will be first. Yeah. You that win freaks a lot after of rich people dying. Out. Yeah, no, it's a big deal. So it's it that the actual gospel story is very freaky. So in honor of that, if you tell us, <laughs> in honor of how freaky the gospel is, <laughs> if you tell us what the freakiest movie or story you ever you've ever experienced watched read listened to and we really like it <laughs> we will give you your very own copy of the gospel of luke all right folks hit us up on the facebook group we're in pop culture with fan people and know-it-alls or we on the twitters i know all the twitters 
I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. So let us know what your top freaky movie TV show story is, and you could win yourself a copy of The Gospel of Luke. <laughs> and be sure to tune in <laughs> next time when we talk about the good, the, the bad, bad, and the, the ugly. ugly. Also a good description of the Bible. Yes. There's a lot of good, bad, and ugly in the Bible. It could be. That movie is not about the Bible. Let's just be clear. <laughs> it could be a description of us, actually. Uh, it could be, and we'll leave that up to you guys to decide. You can tell us on the tweeters. <laughs> I know all the Twitters. But until next time, I'm Jake. Uh, I'm Paul. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. He always wanted to be a hero who could beat anybody with one punch, but now he has he he's bored. There's no purpose to his life because there's no challenge. He can beat anybody with one punch, even even planet-sized superheroes. It's yeah. a very weird anime show, but it's pretty interesting. Hmm.